kids up here, huh? Yeah? Good? I thought it was cooler than that, but it's all right. I think it's awesome. So what I want you guys to do in greeting each other, I'm up here, so you guys are hugging. I'm sorry. Maybe find a kid to hug, but don't scare them. Don't scare them. Find somebody to hug, and I'm going to bring Mark Klein up here. Uh, Good morning. Good to see you all. And uh, on behalf of the elders, we just wanted to make an announcement to everyone. Maybe you wonder sometimes what we talk about at our meetings. And uh, one of the things we've talked about a lot recently is uh, membership and a lot of our newcomers coming in and visitors and following up with them. And we really wanted to get a little more organized about the way we get people oriented into our congregation. And so we're offering a membership class the next two Sundays, uh, Sunday morning from 10 to 10.30. So it's between our two services. And this is for anyone who's a newcomer. Uh, who's interested in membership or just interested in finding out more about Cornerstone uh, or who even is recently a a new member in the past couple years, uh, this would be good for you too. Or maybe you've been here longer than that and you'd just like a refresher. Uh, We're going to talk about our vision and direction and goals of the church. We're going to talk about our practices and doctrinal beliefs. Um, We're going to give you a chance to ask any questions you have about our church. And we're going to talk about how how to get involved in ministry here. So we'll be following up with some phone calls on people who we know are newcomers, but if you're interested, please let me or one of the elders know. Uh, so this is a good thing for our church. We're seeing newcomers come in, and we're growing. Uh, that's a good thing. Praise God for that. And, and so we'd like to help people to get involved and connected into the Cornerstone family uh, through these membership classes. So uh, 10 to 10.30 the next two weeks. Thanks. Now we're going to have a uh, ministry spotlight, and it's a fun one for me to introduce because my wife is a part of this, a big part of this. This is the children's ministry, so I'm going to call up Caro, Beren, and Tracy Thomas. You guys can give them a big hand when they're coming up here because they're doing some great things. They do some great things along with a lot of other women and men here that uh, help out these kids, but I'm going to give them some time to share with you guys. We're actually cheating and bringing the kids up with us so we don't have to talk as much. That was our plan. Um, I'm sure most of you know, but I just want to tell you a little bit about um, our Sunday school classes. We have three main classes right now. Um, We have the primary class, which is second through fifth grade, um, and that is taught by Linda Swanson, and Vern Bradley helps out with that as well. Um, And we have the kindergarten through first grade class, and that is taught by Karen Clarkson, Tracy, and myself. We rotate through that. And then the last class is the preschool class that's actually about two and a half to four-year-olds, and that's taught by Debbie Shore and Caitlin as well. So those classes meet regularly, and I'd say we have about 30, 35 kids, and it's ever-growing, so that's just an awesome blessing to have and work with. Um, Those classes meet every Sunday, except we do do a a once-a-month fun day Sunday. Um, What that means is all the classes come together. We do a time of music and a message. I know some of you have shared with us, and we're so thankful for that. During the message, they've been learning each week about a different fruit of the Spirit 
Thanks, son. Um, and so we're just going to tell you real short before the kids come up here, we're going to tell you a couple of needs that we have. First of all, I don't know if you remember, last year we did a six-week program during the summer. Um, we did a Summer Olympics theme. Um, and that was just awesome because the kids all got to be together. They got to do some extra special things for the summer. And most of all, it gives our awesome teachers a really well-deserved break. Um, and so we're going to do that again this year. It's going to have a different theme yet to be determined. <laughs> um, and it's going to be a four-week long program. Um, and this is where we could definitely use some help from you. And this doesn't mean you're committing a long time commitment or even that you have to do have great ideas or anything. We will provide everything for you. Um, we're just looking for helpers that are willing hearts and willing hands to just help out even once or just for a few minutes or whatever and Tracy will talk a little bit more about what that involves and the other thing we could use helpers for is um, substitute teachers we have like I said the once a month fun day Sunday we also try to give our teachers a break on that day as well just so they have a chance to get refreshed and come in the main service um, so we could use substitutes. Again, that doesn't mean you have to do it every month. That means you could do it maybe once a year or once in a great while. So um, again, just a willing heart. So subs for that. Or if you feel like you'd like to help more full time or you'd like to be a teacher, just whatever the Lord may be laying on your heart that you would like to help with all these awesome kids up here. So I have a sign-up sheet that I'm going to pass around. Um, the first part has the four-week summer um, exciting adventure, whatever we're going to call it. Um, we Last summer, we had about 20 people that helped us, and again, it was six weeks long. This time, we're going to do about four weeks. We're thinking the last two Sundays of July and the first two of August. So um, if we could get about 20 people again, that would be great. And then we, uh, the more we have, the less, less we need you. We just need extra hands, warm, warm hands and feet. And um, our sections are music, speaking, crafts, games, snacks, and then watching just the preschoolers. So um, you can list your name and your email address and check a box if you're interested in any one of those areas, those fun activities, and we will provide everything if you want us to, the snack, the, the game, um, all the uh, balls and pins and hoops and whatever you want to use for the game or the craft, we can provide the materials for that too. We just need hands. The second section on the sign-up sheet is for the substitutes, like Kara mentioned. Um, and there's a section you can check whether you want to help with the preschool class, the kindergarten and first grade class, or the second through fifth grade class. Or if you don't have a preference, you can check any class. So again, um, I'll pass it around. You can sign up. And then the kids are going to come up right now and share a couple songs that they like from Fun Day Sunday that they've been learning once a month in our Fun Day Sunday. All right, kids, come on up here. I want you kids, kids, these are a couple of your favorite songs and they want to share them with you. I want you kids to sing nice and loud, okay? Watch Kara for the hand motions. And she would ask me, the rest of you guys don't watch Kara, okay? Just watch the kids. Man, that, that's, uh, 
that is that's the center of what our posture in life should be, isn't it? It's either on our knees begging God for help all the time, or it's I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. It's the same attitude which we should have all the time. Like, God, I have no idea what I am doing with my life. I am completely out of control, but I just open my arms to you to control me. I open my arms, I hold my arms up high for you to control me, to control my life. So I just want to start by just pointing a few things out that I just learned in the last 24 hours. Actually, both of them were this morning that I learned, and it really made me think hard. Um, It's just like God to throw a wrench in in the preparation of the beginning of the sermon, but I think um, it's better to go here uh, this morning anyway. But um, Linda Swanson, she's uh, one of our Sunday school teachers. She serves so well here. And Linda is one of, the, one, one of the people that I admire most for her servant heart. I mean, her life is crazy. Um, she is just go, 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 go. And yet, she asks me every week how I'm doing. When I, when I think I'm thinking about Linda, it seems to be the weeks that I'm thinking about her that, man... The Swanson's life is crazy that she always comes up to me and asks me how I'm doing. And I'm like, I should be asking you, Linda, how you're doing. But you need to know this morning that Linda, for I think the second time within a year's span, got in a, a car accident. Um, and so she's at home, and she's just really, really, really sore. They think her car is totaled. Um, but this is almost a year ago, she got rear-ended by a bus. And it's like, how does this all happen to one person? And then, um, so you can be praying for her. Pray for Linda. Um, just because she's in physical pain. She's on muscle relaxers. Um, but then it got, got me thinking about something else that I heard this morning. Raise your hand if you know who Rick Warren is. Okay, uh, most, most of you. Well, I just found out this morning that his son, he is, he's the uh, megachurch pastor from Saddleback in, uh, in California, He's been the advisor. He was the advisor to President Bush. Um, He was the spiritual advisor to him. And his son, his youngest son, 27 years old, this past week committed suicide. That got me thinking. You think of people like Linda, and then I start thinking of a lot of people in this church that have gone through really, really hard times. And it is totally contrary to to what I want to believe about what is true in the world and what is true about spirituality and what is true about me and myself and how I live my life. Because what I want to believe is I can get to a certain point where I live my life enough for God, where I serve Him enough that I get like an immunity card. Right? I get this card that says, you have served me enough to be immune to heartache and pain and tragedy and failure, but I realized this morning that nobody gets that car. Oftentimes you look in Scripture and you see that it was the people that served God most that the most tragedy happened to. How does that make sense? But at the same time, it reminds me that we serve a God that never promised that life would be easy, but what did He promise? He promised that He would always be faithful that His faithfulness 
will never, ever, 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 ever end. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but it's why we put our faith in who God says He is rather than what He always allows to happen or does in life. Because if you're like me, a lot of times I look at what's happening in life. Like the beginning of 2012 for us, we shared our, our story with you guys. I didn't understand a lick of that. I was frustrated. I was angry most of the time. But I came out of it more in love with Jesus knowing that He is the reason that I can believe in a faithful God. I don't have to understand it. But God is faithful in the midst of heartache and pain, and He's faithful in the midst of joy. Isn't that true? Isn't that cool? That's awesome. I love that. And I love seeing our kids up here and knowing that I can let them come to to Sunday school every week, knowing that they're going to learn the Bible. I love when I, um, I, we're, we're reading something from the Bible to our kids, or we're watching something on TV and they say, ah, I learned that in Sunday school. Isn't it cool being able to, to bring your kids to a place where you know that, that they're learning truth here? Isn't that cool? I love that. It's awesome. I also love coming to worship with you guys. I say it almost every week, but my favorite time of the week is when we come together to worship. I love that because hopefully it's, it's a continuation of what we are doing throughout the week. It's a continuation of what I have been engaging with, with God, with Jesus, and then we come here and we get to do it together. And when we worship, in the midst of everything that is going on in life, we get to worship and say, God, everything is right with You. Everything in right with, is right with You. If I'm depending on myself and life is going great, it's a reminder to be humble and to say everything is right with you. That you have given me this life. If if things are going bad, if life is just hard, it puts, just worshiping puts into perspective my relationship to an almighty faithful God. Isn't that true? That's awesome. And at the center, as we worship, we're reminded, like we come here every single Sunday, and we remember Jesus. We're reminded that the reason that we can serve an almighty faithful God is all because of Jesus. It is all about Jesus. The theme verse that we've used to, to, to mold this whole series around is John, John 20, 31. These things in the book of John and the Gospel, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? It's all about Jesus. You take Jesus out of the Gospel, and we've just got another religion like everyone else. Our God has a name that we serve. I was talking to someone at the office this week. Nobody from Cornerstone. But it's just a guy that came in, wanted to talk about the boat stuff. Comes in, he just sits down in my office. I'm like, okay, I guess we're talking. <laughs> this is cool. So we just start talking. And uh, we started talking about what we're going to do with the building and all this stuff, and that there's a, a Sikh temple in our backyard next door, okay? And uh, these Sikh are like Muslim universalists. They, they, just, they believe that whatever God is to you is good, and you're going to heaven. 
because you believe in God. And he says to me, this guy that's talking to me, he says, you know, I really, I really, his kids are growing. He says, I really don't care what church my kids go to. They're all fundamentally the same, right? I said, well, it just depends on what they do with Jesus. Like, what do they say about Jesus? Because Jesus is the center of everything. And our God came to earth and he's got a name and we can know him intimately. Is that cool or what? Say amen if you think that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. We can serve Him and know Him intimately. 1 Corinthians 8 says, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And then John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. That we can know God through the person of Jesus Christ. And this has to do with, this is not just an aside, but this has to do with the message this morning. I'm going to tell you, this isn't going to be a suspense thriller this morning, because uh, I'm going to tell you the ending right now. Um, that the, the, the idea for this morning, it sounds like a Sunday school answer, it's all about Jesus. But I think way too often we forget that it's all about Jesus. And we think it's all about rules. And we think it's all about the way we live our life. But the, the idea this morning is that Jesus wants us to know it is not about the rules. It's not about our traditions. That those things are good, but it's all about Jesus. It is all about His grace. It is all about Him and when we forget that, we cease to live our, God, our, our life the way that God wants us to. And so it's all about Jesus. It's not about the rules. It's not about the traditions. And so it leads me to ask this question. Are we, as a church, telling people about Jesus? Our mission statement is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Now... I'm a firm believer that what your mission statement says on paper is what you want your mission statement to be. That's what our leaders want this church to be a part of, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, if we brought somebody in, we've got to seriously answer this question, if we brought somebody in to, to spend a month with us here at Cornerstone and just say, hey, come to our services, spend time with our people throughout the week, just see what we're about as a church, okay? And they were to write out a mission statement without any guidance from us, just say, okay, write out our mission statement, what you think Cornerstone's Community Church's mission statement is. Based on the fact that what we, want, what we have written is what we want to be true, what we actually do is what is actually true. I think at this moment, and this is not bad, don't think, I'm, don't think this is bad, this is very good, but that they would say, leading Cornerstone Community Church to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about what that means. Leading Cornerstone Community Church to a devoted relationship with Christ. I think we do a great job. This is awesome. I think this is great. And this is why a lot of people are attracted to Cornerstone. Because we're friendly. Because we love people. And we do a great job at discipling our own people and teaching the Bible. But I really have to dig down and think about 
when's the last time I actually stepped out and pursued a spiritual relationship with a non-Christian in my life? You see, it's awesome that we disciple our own people. It's awesome. But what we desire, what the leadership desires for us as a church, and what we think the Great Commission teaches, is that we not only disciple our own people, but in order to continue that process beyond our own people, we've got to be evangelizing. Now, I'm not saying that some evangelism doesn't happen. I'm not saying that some outreach doesn't happen. But I am saying that we, in order to have leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ actually be our mission statement? Here's the question. Do you know your neighbor's names? And this, this all fits in with the fact that it's all about Jesus, and this will all fit into the, the point of the morning from John 2. Okay? Do you know your neighbor's names, first of all? And this is a question that is full of anxiety, because for me it scares me to death to cross that line and talk to my neighbors. It's awkward. But here's a few good examples. Alan and Lauren last week, uh, last year, had a, uh, they hosted a, uh, a block party. Great idea. Awesome idea. The rest of us, maybe we should do that. I don't know. But that's a great idea. Mike Johnson, he's crazy. Like he's nuts. I heard that Mike sometimes, he just goes out and sits on his front stairs and just watches his neighbors. And like sees, sees if, Yes, Ashley's like, I know, stalker. Um, but he just watches his neighbors and see who's doing what. Hey, that person might need help, so I'm going to go help him. Like, that's an awesome example, and he's really red right now. But I would be thinking, dude, either Mike's a really nice guy or he's a stalker, and I'm, I'm afraid of him. But this is the kind of craziness that God calls us to, right? We are terrified to do it, but in the midst of that, God says, don't be afraid, because it's not us. It's the Spirit. I'm sure Mike's had plenty of conversations with his neighbors that he was terrified about, right? Especially with Ashley. I'm like, man, but he does it anyway. So, if you already know your neighbors or your coworkers, here's the next step. We need to be pursuing relationship. If they're already Christians, great. Don't spend any more time with them. Go find the ones that aren't saved. Okay? Pursue these relationships. A couple years ago, a mentor of mine said to me, Nick, if, there is, if a Christian does not have a meaningful, growing relationship with an unsaved person in their life, there is something missing. Because we are called to bring the Gospel to the streets. Right? Because it's all about Jesus. And imagine if you're Rick Warren this morning, and your son... You're, You've been serving God and serving God and serving God and serving God, and yet you haven't been given the get-out-free card, and your son commits suicide. What is that all about? It just shows us that not everyone has everything together all the time. Our families aren't going to be perfect. I mean, my dad just read to me this morning how ten years ago his son said to him, Dad, I know I'm going to heaven. Why can't I just die? Because he struggled with depression. Imagine going through something like that without Jesus at the center of your life. Where do you go? Where do you go? It's all about Jesus to be on mission for Him. 
So that was probably the longest part of the sermon this morning. But let me just pray for us this morning. God, we thank you that you are a faithful God. We don't always understand you, and we never will. But you have revealed yourself through Jesus, and so I just pray that we can see that it's all about Jesus this morning. Father, I pray that you would just help me and your spirit to serve this church well. God, that we would get the point that you want us to do whatever it takes to be madly in love with Jesus and to share that with other people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're in John chapter 2. So turn there right at the beginning. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Okay? I'm going to read these to you. And then we're going to get going. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they did that. When the, fe- when the master of the feast tasted the, wine, the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first signs of this of the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, this is one of those stories that um, in church is read a lot. There's even a guy down the street from us in Grimes that said uh, he had this big truck out in his in his uh, um, in his driveway that said, "There is no beer in heaven." And then I said, "I didn't say anything to him, so that would be an awkward." conversation, but it's just weird because Jesus' first miracle is to turn water into wine. So I don't know. This is not a sermon about wine and alcohol consumption. Um, we, you could talk to me about that anytime. I'd love to talk to you about that. But you learn a lot from studying a passage that is kind of normal in church. Everyone's, every, everyone that's been to church, and I hope there is somebody here this morning that has never, ever heard this passage before, because it just came alive to me as I read it. And there's a lot of things that I, uh, that I discovered that I was like, oh, I didn't know that before. That's cool. I didn't know before. I didn't even realize it, but I didn't think of that. It's cool just to be able to, to study um, a passage like this, and you've got to get nitpicky when you're speaking on it. So it's just a really cool passage, and my prayer has been that it comes alive for you. So what's the setting, okay? You've got this wedding going on in Cana. Okay, Jesus... And his disciples and his mother are invited to this wedding. They're all there. Okay, we don't really know why. Jesus has been in ministry for three days. He's got five disciples. He's not well, a well-known preacher, speaker at this point. He hasn't done any miracles. Okay, he hasn't done any messianic signs proving that he's the Messiah yet. He's not well-known, but for some reason he's at this wedding. So, we can assume that maybe he was a friend of the family. Maybe he was a relative. Same thing for Mary. Or maybe Jesus was just a really fun guy to be with. You ever think about that? Like, 
He is labeled later on as a friend of sinners. The Pharisees hated him. The religious people didn't want to spend time with him, and he wouldn't even be allowed to be our pastor because of some of the things he did. That's crazy. In most churches today, Jesus would not be allowed to pastor a church because he hung out with fringe people. But I think he was either a relative, a friend of the family, or they were like, we want Jesus at our party because he's cool. I mean, he, he just hangs out with us. He doesn't care. He's cool. We want Jesus there. I don't know why he was there, but he was there. And uh, it goes on. And I think this, this, is, this is amazing as well. He's at a wedding. There is a ton said in Scripture about the significance to marriage, a husband and wife, and the Gospel. And God's relationship with us. I thought this was really cool. That Jesus, the first time, in verse 11 it says what two things happened. He manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him. The first time He does that is at a wedding celebration. The last time He's going to do that is when He is in His full glory and we are with Him celebrating the biggest wedding ceremony that ever happened. If you know Jesus, you're going to be at this wedding ceremony. Isn't that cool? He first manifested His glory in a quiet way at a wedding ceremony. And in the end, He's going to manifest His full glory, and we're going to be there for it. That's going to be a party to be at. And I, that's awesome. That's cool. Weddings these days, I, re, I remember everything that went into my wedding. Heather's like, you remember everything that went into your, You didn't do nothing. I was like, so, I'm just kidding. I did. I was a good help, right, Heather? Yep. That's a good answer. Um, I remember the stress that went into a, a wedding. You want everything to go well. Weddings these days, they last, what, three or four hours from beginning of ceremony to end? Okay? And then the, the couple wants to get off and, uh, and have their honeymoon. They turn off their phones. They don't want to be in contact with anybody they know because they just want to be with each other. But weddings in this day, they could have lasted for a week. I would have, that would have been a serious invasion of my privacy at that point. For a week? Now i got to get away from these people. This is crazy. And, and not only did the wedding feast celebration last for a week, but in their home, they would have people constantly coming by to wish them congratulations. That does not sound fun to me. That doesn't sound like a good honeymoon week. Alright? But this is how weddings lasted. This is how weddings were at the time. So, it was a huge deal when they ran out of wine. It was a big deal. I can imagine at my wedding if we only had like food for half the people. Yeah, I would ever forever be known as, you, know, you remember Nick and Heather's wedding? That was lame. That was a lame wedding. They, I didn't even eat anything. I didn't even eat. That, this was a big deal that they ran out of wine. Most times I've read that, I've been like, oh, they ran out of wine, so Jesus did a miracle. Awesome, he's God. That makes sense. But there's a whole lot more to this than just the fact that they ran out of wine. So the, the problem is that running out of wine was a huge deal for this couple. This would have put a social stigma on them for a long 
time. They would have been, it would have been public disgrace for them. And so Mary takes action. What does she say? She says, they have no wine. It wasn't just a, oh, they have no wine. My son's going to do a miracle. It was a, they have no wine. Oh my goodness, they have no wine. These are my relatives. I love these people. We need to do something. So what does she do? She goes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. Jesus hasn't done any miracles at this point. What does she think he's going to do? This is funny. What does she think he's going to do? Like, Jesus, I don't, does Mary know at this point? How powerful her son is? Does she expect a miracle? I think she knows he's special. But does she go to him expecting a miracle, or is it just like, Jesus, we ran out of wine, we got to do something? What do you have in your wallet? Like, can you go? We just got to get him something. We got to get him through the next few hours. This is not good. And then Jesus, this is one of those hilarious passages when you read it in the 21st century context, because Jesus' response is so funny. No matter how I say the word woman, it's not a good ending for me. Right? Like, even if you say it, it doesn't matter what woman you're saying this to, I could say it to Margot and she would scream at me. Okay? Because if you say it, woman, you can't end that well. Woman, it just doesn't come out well. No matter how precious you try to say it, it doesn't end well because you're either saying get me something, or stop acting like that, or stop making, whatever it may be, it just doesn't end up good, okay? So this is a funny, I'm thinking, Jesus, you're God, you haven't sinned, but you disrespected, disrespected your mom. That's not good. I remember, okay, my mom, she is a tough woman. I'm not just saying this because she's here this morning, but she's tough. I remember sitting in the front seat with her one time, and uh, and it's her, it's my buddy, this is high school, it's my friend in the passenger seat, and I'm on the crack in the middle of the seats. Three of my friends in the back seat, we're on our way to track or swimming practice or something like that, and I said some smart remark to my mom, I can still feel it. it she embarrassed me. I'm thinking, what is Jesus thinking? Like, Mom, I am God. Stop talking to me like that. I just, I, I mean, this is crazy. You're embarrassing me in front of these guys. I've, never, I've only known them for five days. I've asked them to follow me. Stop embarrassing me like this. Okay, this is always what I've thought when I read this passage. I'm like, Jesus just disrespected his mom. That's funny. That's funny. That's funny right there. I mean, that's a good mater, mater thing. I mean, the kids stuff, man. Um, so anyway, he says that, but then I realize in studying it that, oh, my have times have changed. Jesus, that word woman was the same word he used for, for Mary when he was on the cross saying, woman, behold your son, John, who is now going to take care of you. It was, a, it was the word that, that people would use for deep longing and affection towards a person. So he was actually being very polite to Mary, his mother, and saying, mom, what does this have to do with me? Leave me out of it, because my time has not yet come. And when he says my time has not yet come, I think Jesus knew, I know Jesus knew, that because of the misconceptions of the Jews at the time for what the Messiah would do and how the Messiah would manifest himself to them, that once he started down this road of people knowing who he, he says he was and he's doing miracles, that this was going to lead to his crucifixion. Jesus went to the cross with extreme joy for us because he was dying for our salvation. 
But Jesus did not want to go through that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, Gethsemane, he bled blood because he was so stressed out about going to the cross because he was, it was the most pain that everyone, anyone has ever gone through and he was going to be betrayed. His father was going to turn his back on him and the sins of every single person in this room and the whole world were going to be on his shoulder. He didn't want to do that. But he knew he had to and he did it because he loved us enough to say, I want that person. And he thought of every single person by name. I think when he was on the cross. So he says, my hour has not yet come. He does this, and Mary at that point submits to him. Says, okay, I'm going to back off here. But says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she still expects Jesus to do something. But she's leaving it in his hands now. Do whatever he tells you. And so what he does is, is makes the point this morning. What he does is he looks to the side, and this is what's available. There's six stone jars, 20 to 30 gallons. He says, fill them to the brim. That's almost, that, between, that's close to 180 gallons. All that water turned into wine, that's a lot of wine. Okay? And so, I, I'm thinking that would have been a good thing to do at the beginning so that they didn't run out of wine in the first place. But, I think, it just, God's on a, Jesus is on a divine timetable. And he uses these jars that are for Jewish rites of purification. And so, I can imagine what the servants must have been thinking when they were going to bring this wine to the, to the Master. Because everyone knew that these jars are for between every, between every course of a meal, Jews would wash their hands. It was a symbol of being clean inside and out. This was, this was a, a Jewish tradition that they did. So it was a big deal. It'd be like drinking out of holy water if you went to a Catholic church. That'd be a big deal. You would be kicked out probably. I don't know. I've, ne I've never done that. Um, but it'd be, I'd be curious to know what would happen. Um, so if you ever try that, let me know what happens. But I don't recommend it. So Jesus does this, and he uses these. That's crazy for him to do. The, the, the servants have got to be thinking, Jesus, you're off your rocker. What are you doing? This is not good. You're, you're breaking about every rule in the Jewish book right now by doing this. They've got to be thinking, if the master finds out we are going to lose our jobs, this is a big deal. But what do they do? They do it anyway. It doesn't say if they questioned it. It just says that they did it. And when they had done it, they brought it to the master of the feast. And, uh, man, there's, there is three awesome things that you can get out of verses 10 and 11. Because first... This is what I want you to see. That, and I'm going to wrap this up here. Is that Jesus, when He does something, He does a miracle, He does it well. I mean, this wasn't just cheap wine. He could have just turned the water into something. Bleh, you know? Because the master of the servant says, when everybody has drank freely, which means they're drunk, so now we can give them the cheap wine and they don't even know the difference. It's not a big deal. We could give them anything at this point. And they wouldn't know what they were drinking, so we always give them the cheap wine. But Jesus made really good wine. That's all to say that whatever Jesus does is excellent. That He did everything well. I don't think He would have settled for making cheap wine. It was really, really good. The two biggest things I want you to get out of this 
is that when Jesus does a miracle, He does it for two reasons in Scripture. This is what miracles were done for. First, to manifest His glory, verse 11, to manifest His glory and so that people believe in Him. Manifest glory in the New Bible Dictionary from Tyndale says this, to describe the revelation of the character and the presence of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So He manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him. This is a big deal. This, this miracle was done in a quiet way. Only a few people knew that He did it. But He started this way and His disciples, who would be the guys that changed the course of history with Jesus, believed in Him at that moment. The first moment that Jesus showed them He was more than just a man. He was more than just a good moral teacher. And they believed in Him. It's no wonder that the Pharisees ended up hating Him. Because all throughout Jesus' ministry, He makes this statement, whether in a bold way or whether in this case just to a few people. In the fact that He turned water into wine, which is a controversial issue in and of itself. I mean, even that day, God had said to the people, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I mean, that's a big deal. Do we have the freedom to drink? Yeah, I think so from Scripture, but should we abuse it? No. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be controlled by the Spirit. So this was a controversial topic. And he used jars that were for Jewish rites of purification. That's a big no-no. It was an impossible miracle done to manifest His glory. And so Jesus is saying in what He said all throughout the, the Gospel, is listen to me. I am the new wine. Wine for a Jew was a symbol of joy. All throughout Scripture, you see that wine for a Jew was a symbol of joy. The, the joy had gone out of the party. There was no more wine left. I mean, literally that happened. But we can also look at it and say Jesus is the ultimate restoration of joy in, for people in their core, in their heart. That is the role that Jesus fulfills. Jesus is saying, it is not about your man-made rules that you set up. The law was given to point out your sin to lead you to repentance, to help you defeat sin. It was never intended for you to earn salvation through the law. Because you can't do it. It isn't about the rules. It's about me. It's about Jesus. What are you doing with Jesus in your life? Are you trying to live your life by a bunch of rules? Because if you think that the rules will make you somehow holier than everyone else in this room, you've got it dead wrong. The reason that we follow the rules is because we're already soaked up and soaked in Jesus. That's our motivation. Who cares about the rules if Jesus isn't your motivation? If your motivation isn't to say, thank you Jesus, now I'm going to live the life that you want me to live. What, have you, what are you currently doing? I don't care how long you've been saved. 
What are you currently doing to make Jesus the center of everything? Is your life more about living holiness for the sake of holiness? Or is your life about living to please Jesus? Tim, you guys can come back up. The band's going to come back up. And we have an opportunity to spend the last moments of our service together remembering Jesus. And as we're doing this, I want you to think really clearly about this. What am I doing with Jesus in my life? How am I pursuing relationship with Jesus and with other people to tell them about Jesus? Is Jesus really the center of my Christianity or is Christianity just religion to me? This is where it starts. This is where it starts. It starts by thinking about Jesus as the center. Be reminded this morning and refreshed to go out and share Him with people. To know Him and to make Him known. Is it about doing things to look good in this group of people? Is it about just following rules? Because if that's what it's about, I don't think we're going to affect the kingdom of God like we're supposed to as a church. Jesus wants, to do what, wants us to do whatever it takes to lead people to Him. Not go and sin, but go and be about Jesus. God, we just, we just lift this time up to You. I thank You. Jesus, for dying for us, that we get to remember that now. I I just pray that this will be a time where we just meet with you and we're refreshed in your spirit and we, we go from here thinking about who Jesus is in our lives, God. We need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We serve a God that we can say that. In the midst of life, I will rise on eagle's wings because of what Jesus has done for us. So I'm going to pray for us. God, I I pray that as we go from here, in the midst of life, as we live life, God, that you would be the center, that Jesus would be the center of everything that we do and say, that we would be motivated to live life in a certain way because of Jesus. And that we would be motivated to not just hold it in, but it's a, a message that we can't that we can't hold in. That if we if we are living with Jesus at the center, with you at the center, everything else in life will um, be lived the way that we should live it. That we'll react in the right way when hard times come. That we'll share the message with our neighbors. God, I pray that you would grow this church because the community around us is coming to know Jesus. God, we want to see salvation to our neighbors, to our communities, to our coworkers. God, grow this church with people getting saved because it is all about you. It's all about Christ. We live for you, God, in your spirit, and in the name of Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Hey, as you leave today, be sure to, if you see a Sunday school teacher 
or Tracy or Kara. They did a great job this morning, and they do a lot of work. So say thank you to them when you see them.